Um, we're starting a new series called First Corinthians, and we're going to be taking about 18 to 34 weeks and trying to get this done. No, we're going to do 18 weeks, about 18 weeks of this, going all the way through the summer. I'm planning on just being in each chapter each week. And uh, it's an amazing uh, series as far as the book of Corinthians is an amazing uh, book. And it relates well with where we are here in America. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you to study it, um, uh, to read it. In fact, you, uh, on, your, on the app, there's, there's actually no notes today because I have so much material. I just, I just put, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And it's up to you to write your own notes today. Um, because I have to give background and everything, and so, but if you you'll you can follow along, you can write. And I encourage you to take notes. Um, we're going to go through some things that are going to challenge you. That's going to prepare you, but it's also going to empower you, and uh, for this, okay? Because we're going to see this church, and we're, it's going to relate to a lot of uh, of what's going on in America. Um, the culture that was is going on in Corinth is America is, is very close. Uh, to this culture today, and, uh, and I want to equip you to how to thrive as a believer in this culture, and not to, not to shrink down, not to, not to hide, but to thrive, amen? And so and I believe that's what God's called us to do, amen? So um, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, I, I need to give you a background on why the, the, this letter was actually even written and where it's written, who it's written to. So now Corinth is situated on the Isthmus of Greece. And I think there's a map that they can go ahead and put up. And you can see it's the south of, south of Greece on the, on, between the Ionian Sea and the Aegean Sea. Right, right uh, above the Mediterranean. It's about 50 miles east of Athens. So the Corinth of Paul's day was, was uh, relatively new. It actually had been destroyed in 146 B.C. By, the, by Rome. And Rome came in and destroyed the city. But there's a law because it was a, very, it was a city dedicated to the worship of, of God, other gods. And so there was a law that once the city was destroyed, it could not be rebuilt for 100 years. So it laid waste for 100 years. And then in 46 B.C., Julius Caesar came in and rebuilt the city. And he uh, populated it with with uh, freedmen, uh, with veterans, and they named it Julia Corinthians. That's what was the name of the city. The city grew, and it was a pretty large city of that day. In fact, it was a little, probably just as large as Kansas City. It's over 400-some thousand people, which is a very large city during that day. But it was a prominent city. It was a, a center, center of commerce throughout the Mediterranean world. And, um, but there was, there was, with that, had a lot of vices, there was a lot of worship of idols. Um, um, immorality was there. It was rampant. I mean, you would, you would go there. There was a, um, a, a, a temple to Aphrodite there in, in, in uh, Corinth. And it was, it was set actually up on a hill if you ever go there. We're gonna, we, we are planning um, Paul, uh, a trip to that area one day and, and go through what Paul went through and everything. If you want to go on that Start saving your money. It's going to be an awesome trip. And so, but what you see here in, in, in Corinth, it was on a hill, and the temple was there, and, and it was two Aphrodites, which is the goddess of, of sexual love and beauty, okay? And so um, the way they worshipped Aphrodites was to have sex. That's how they worshipped Aphrodites. And so they had thousands of priests and priestesses 
that would come out of the temple and they would come down this hill and right right down the hill, you see the ruins, it was like the mall of that day. So it was, the, it was where people would go and they would sell things. So you had like this, this road and on the side of the, the roads were, were, were these shops, basically, that they would come down. And it was full of people. And so they were coming down and these priests and priestesses would come down and get people and they would go up and, you know, do their thing. And so th- that's the type of immorality that was in the city. It, was all, it wasn't looked down upon. It was actually celebrated. You were doing the right thing when you do that, and so um, and so, this this place was a mess, um, and and being so close to Athens, that this intellectualism was in this area too, and uh, and it was it was just how even a church existed, and even started in this place was a miracle anyway. So Paul established his church um, in Acts chapter eighteen during his second min, uh, missionary journey. And the church was affected by all the immoral environment found in the city. Pride was causing division in the church and disruption in the services. Immorality and immodesty was found its way into the church. Um, they were coming into this. And so what was happening, these people were getting saved and they were coming into the to church, but they weren't leaving things behind. Okay, And so they thought it was okay, and so they were doing these things in the church also. And the church was somewhat not even coming against it. They weren't raising a standard against it. They were allowing the, the ways of the world to come in. And, and, and a lot of times we look upon this church and we say, oh, they, 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 that was stupid. They, shouldn't, they should have known better. But they don't have what we have today. They, don't, they didn't have the full Bible they didn't, they didn't have teaching. They couldn't go on YouTube and, and listen to teaching. They didn't, they didn't really have a lot of training. There wasn't a lot of Bible colleges. So if you look back, and then they just really were just young believers, didn't really know what they were doing, what they were supposed to do. And so they, were, they, were, they, were had, they had problems after problems after problems. They were suing each other. They weren't trying to work it out as, uh, in the church. They were going to these heathen courts. Other issues were affecting it. There was questions about marriage. Meat sacrificed to idols. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. They couldn't even get communion right. I mean, they were, they were getting drunk as they were taking the Lord's Supper. I mean, they weren't, they weren't doing well. And they were still gifted. They were, and we'll talk about that later. Why? And they, were, they weren't using their gifts properly. And so the church was, was, had all these problems, and the questions needed to be answered. So, so basically, Paul had to write this letter actually he had wrote a, wrote a letter before that we don't know what was in that letter but what Paul's doing here with 1 Corinthians he's hearing about all the stuff that's going on and he's going to confront them this is this is a confrontational letter so it's it's a letter that he's writing to confront but he's also writing to to answer some questions that the Corinthians had about that other letter that he had sent and he's answering them too. And so this is, this is bad news that he's hearing. And so he wants to write this. And so Paul, he, he says, I'm writing this correct sinful practices and refute false doctrine. So this letter is especially written to those who live in the sex-saturated, wisdom-loving atmosphere and are trying to live as Christian in the midst of this and it's hard, and they're not doing well. They don't understand what they're doing is wrong. And so here Paul is writing this letter to confront them, to correct some things, and to, to get them on the right track. 
And so one of the first problems he deals with, and we're not going to get to it today. We're actually going to come back to it in, uh, sometime in July. But the first problem he's dealing with is a, is a matter of divisions that was caused by the spirit of the city coming in that come into the church. Um, because in, in, in Athens and everything, they would follow certain teachers. They would, they would have crowds of people just come and listen to the wisdom of men. And so people would like this person, they were like this person. Well, that came into the church where they were saying, um, I don't know if I like Paul anymore. I like Apollos. Or I like this teacher, and I like this teacher, and this teacher's wrong, and I don't even know if Paul's even our guy anymore. And so this is bringing this, these cliques and this division in the church. And so, and so what was happening, the spirit that's in Athens, the spirit that's in Corinth, and, in, and this, all this area was coming into the church, and, and the church was receiving that, and they had captured the spirit of the world. And we see that even today. We see that even in the American church that in some ways we're capturing the spirit of this age, the thinking of this world. And remember, I've, I've told you, you're going to be discipled by something or someone. Either you're going to be discipled by the word of God and the believers, or you're going to be discipled by this world. Whatever you listen to the most is what you're going to be discipled by. Amen? Amen? And so, see, the church's job is to raise a standard to be a light. Paul was always leading people to become part of the kingdom of God and not be part of the kingdom of man. And so the, the church's job is, is to raise that standard, is, is to tell this dark world, hey, there's something better. And what you're looking at and what you're believing and how you're living is leading to death and destruction, but we have a better way, right? And that's the church's job. And and we're seeing this in America that the church is not rising up to that. We're bowing down to the age and thinking of this world. And we've got to stop it. And we've got to rise up. And we've got to lift our voice. Not in anger. Not in condemnation. But in love and truth and to show them a better way. But we also, Paul tells them, we also have to live like we talk. See, when a church begins... To reflect the spirit of the age it lives, it immediately loses its power. Amen. And that's what's happened to the church of Corinth. And I believe that's what's happening to a lot of churches here in America. Because now we're about entertainment. Right? We're about other things. We're allowing sin to come in and it's okay. And it's not okay. Sin's not okay. You know why sin's not okay? Because it leads to death. It hurts people. That's why God hates sin. God hates sin, not because he's not trying to let you, us have fun or do what we want. You can do whatever you want. It's your choice. But sin always leads to death in people's lives, and that's why God hates that. And so the church's job is, to, is not to reflect the spirit of this age, but to reflect the spirit of God and to raise up a standard against that. And so they were allowing all these divisions and philosophies of men to come into the church, and they have ch chosen certain people to look at and, and listen. And no way does the philosophy or the wisdom of man ever help anything. You know what's missing? The Spirit of God. The only thing that can help life's problems is God's Spirit in your life, transforming your life, and that's still true today. And so Paul's saying, we've got to take care of this. And this is, this is a messed up church that he's writing to. 
This is a church without strong foundations. They're believing whatever they want to believe. And Paul needs to bring correction. Okay, so you're here in uh, chapter 1. And so Paul writes most of the New Testament, as we know. And he has a way of writing that's, that's found in most of the New Testament. New Testament letters. And the typical way you would write a letter, and this is how Paul would write his first century letter, letters. So I'm going to give you an example. Uh, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians. Keep your hand in 1 Corinthians. But 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. The reason I'm going there, I want to see a typical letter that Paul writes. He starts out, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. These are the writers. He usually begins with who, are, who is writing this letter. Uh, and then he says, to the church of Thessalonians in God, the Father, the Lord Jesus. He said, He's, he's telling who's, who he's writing to, the church of, in Thessalonica. And then he, we have a greeting. He says, grace and peace to you. This is a very conventional uh, greeting that Paul uses almost all the time. He talks about peace. That's the word shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. And he greets people with that. And then he uses the word grace, which is in the Greek is charis, which means favor. And so Paul is including the Jews in his greeting and also the Gentiles. So this is a very typical introduction. So we don't want to read too much into this. And what is a typical thing, that's how he writes almost all his letters. But 1 Corinthians is different. Paul breaks from the normal here in 1 Corinthians. So Paul's outline and how he writes his letter, he writes salutation. He tells who's writing it. He, gives, he tells who's, who's the recipients of this letter. He makes a greeting. Then he does thanksgiving. Then here's the body. This is the whole purpose of the letter. And then he does the conclusion. That's his outline in almost in every one of his letters. He does that. And he does that in 1 Corinthians. But his greeting is different in 1 Corinthians. So let's, it's very important that we find this out. Because if we seek this out, this gives us the whole reason he's writing this letter. So let's look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle... Of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Now we're going to talk about Sosthenes in a minute, but but why does Paul call himself an apostle? He describes himself as apostle because they know him. He's the one who started the church. They know who he is. So why does he do that? And I believe he does this because he has to establish his authority here over the church. So when Paul usually introduces himself, he does it usually in four ways. He does it in his name only. So he, he, or he does it as a prisoner of Christ. He does that of Jesus, Christ Jesus. He does that to the letter of Philemon and to other phrases he always uses, either servant or apostle. So why would he use the word apostle here? And it's because I don't think Paul's getting along with this church. I don't think the church is getting along with Paul because he's confronting them. How many of you get along with people who confront you? Right? It's not an easy thing. And so Paul's saying here, listen, listen, I'm not just some normal man. I'm, just not, only, I'm not only just one who sent, uh, sent one. I'm an apostle that Jesus made me apostle. You didn't make me apostle. The Lord Jesus made me apostle. And what I'm about to say, you better listen to. And so that's why he's saying he's an apostle. So it's very important. He's not writing this letter as just a friend. He's not just writing this letter as a pastor. He's writing this as apostle of Jesus Christ. I started this church. And listen, you better listen to me. Okay? So that's why he did this. So Paul also says here that he's the writer and so is Sosthenes. And we see Sosthenes in Acts chapter 18 around verse 17. 
So right, right during that time, there's a guy by the name of Cyprus. He was the leader of the synagogue, but he became a believer in Jesus Christ. But you can't lead a Jewish synagogue if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So they kicked him to the curb. And so Cyprus is following Jesus now, and, but they put this guy's sauciness into as the leader. And, so, and this is what Sosthenes do in Acts, Acts chapter 18. He takes Paul and he wants the crowd to beat, beat him. And so he takes him to the authorities, and, and the authorities disagree with Sosthenes that Paul, Paul can't be beaten. So guess what the crowd does? Turns on Sosthenes and beats him. But guess what happens in about, we believe, in around AD 51? This is, the, this is all about the transforma- transforming grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sosthenes gives his life to Christ, and guess where he goes to? He goes to Paul. And he hangs out with Paul. Isn't that awesome? The same guy that tried to get Paul beat up by a crowd of people, and the crowd of people eventually turned on him and beat him up, that God saves him, and he starts following Paul. And now he's helping Paul write this letter to the Corinthian church. And, and maybe he, Paul's just dictating this letter. We don't know. Uh, two Saucens, and he's writing it down, but we know that Saucens is part of it. And so it's very important. I just wanted to bring that out because... Because you are never too far for God to save you. Amen. In fact, the fact that you're still living and walking on this church, this earth, means God has not given up on you. So I don't care who you're praying for, keep on praying, amen? Because God is going to get them one day, amen? And they can turn. doesn't matter how bad they are. God can make them a leader in the body of Christ, amen? Woo, that's good. Look at verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are saying, now this is very important. This is where he kind of moves and changes some things. He says, to the church of God who is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, you need to underline that in your Bible or highlight it in your app, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints or holy people, whatever, the, if it's holy people, underline it. If it's saints, underline that. With all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, here's where Paul deviates from the norm here. He starts with the church of God in Corinth. And now that means all the believers in the city. But there's two phrases that are important here. And these, this is why he's writing this letter, okay? And you're going to see this throughout the, the book here. Those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus... And those who are called to be saints or holy people. Now, um, these two words mean about the same thing. Sanctified means to be set apart. And holy people means to be set apart. So when it says sanctified, what Paul is saying here is that he's saying you are set apart in your position. That you are set apart in Christ Jesus. You have been set apart in Christ and that's your position. You are now a son and daughter of God. These, he's talking to Christians here in Corinth. You've been set apart. You are, you are saved. You have given your life to Christ. You are saved. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. But you've also been set apart as a holy people. And that means not position, but that means practice. And Peter, in his books, he talks a lot about this in his books. God has set you apart. Now live like it. You have a position in Christ as a son and daughter, but God has also called you to practice that, to live like that. 
You've been sanctified, set apart in position. You've been declared to be holy, or you're a holy people, and now you're set apart in practice. So he's telling the Corinthian people that you're set apart, yes, but now you've got to act like it. Now you've got to live like it. Now you've got to be holy because I am holy. So one is position and one is practice. So Paul's heart here is for them to practice, to live out their position that they've been already given. So if you're in Christ, you've been set apart by God, now live like it. That's what he's saying here. And this is what it means to be a Christian, is that I'm set apart by God. I'm a Christian. Now I need to be transformed every single day. That today needs to be better than yesterday, right? That I'm growing in God every single day. But they weren't doing that in, in, in Corinth. They weren't growing in God. They were actually adding on the things of the world. And Paul's just basically saying, you've got to move on. You've got to move on in these things. I have not told you to live like that. You used to do those things. Now do this, right? And this is what Paul is saying to them. So you have a position. Now start living like that position. And that's what God is calling all of us to do. That's why when we ask people you know, to give their life to God, it is a decision that they make that they have to live out every single day. Amen? Amen? And you don't live it out in your own power because, as we'll talk about a little bit later, there's grace for that. The enabling, the favor of God, the, the, the favor that you didn't get, you know, he gave you. It's undeserved favor, but that favor has power for you to live like Christ has called you to live. Sin does not have power over you anymore. Look at me. Sin does not have power over you. Amen. The only reason sin has power over you is because you stopped moving forward. And you gave it power. Come on. That's, that's what Paul's saying here. You have the grace of God to defeat sin. Now, are you going to ever be perfect? I don't know. But you're going to go towards that, right? Amen? That's our aim. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Start moving forward. Start moving on. And then he says, with all, and I love this. This is so important. With all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and all. This is really important, because, and I get excited about this, because every New Testament letter is what we call an occasional letter or an occasional document, which means that it's written to particular people for a specific reason. So when we read all the letters 2,000 years later, our job is to find out what we're supposed to put into practice from those letters, what we're supposed to learn about and live, because they're, they're written for that specific people, that specific time, and we're supposed to figure out, okay, what's in it for us? Well, we're supposed to do that. But First Corinthians is totally different, because Paul says... It's not just for the people of this time. It's for the people in other times. So he's saying this letter is not just for the people, the ones who are in Corinth, but to all who call on the name of Jesus Christ in every single place. In other words, this letter is for everyone in every time in every place. And so that's why this 1 Corinthians is such an important book for our time because Paul clearly states this is not just for the Corinthian people. This is on the name of Jesus. So this is why we need to, to study 1 Corinthians because it is such a relevant book for us today. In verse 3, he gets into the greeting, which is a very typical greeting. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, just a typical greeting. 
And, uh, and so let me remind you that Paul, his whole purpose, he's concerned about the controversies in the church. The church is full of infighting, uh, of, of other controversies, of immorality, and they're doing things wrong. They're using their, even the gifts of the Spirit wrong. And, uh, and they just don't know what, to, they don't even know who to follow. They, they want to follow this person, and they go to this person, and they go to this person. It's just like the church in America. I don't like this, I, that church I didn't like, so I'm going to go to this church, I'm going to go to this church. We are screwed up. We're just like Corinthian church. Right? Now, I'm speaking to the choir, right? Amen? So Paul's disgusted. Because it's full of immorality. There's a guy having sex with his stepmom. We will talk about that later. They're going to prostitutes. They're being open about it. Paul's discussed how the church is living. And they can't, like I said, can't even do communion right. They're getting drunk while they're taking communion. And then they come together in worship, and they're just messed up, and they're fighting in, in the middle of worship. And Corinth it was the original sin city. But here's the next thing that Paul has to do. In his normal writing, he has to give thanks to these people. How in the world is Paul going to give thanks to these people? So Paul writes in his letters, like in, in, in Romans and Titus and, and Philemon and 2 Timothy, he gives thanks for their, their amazing, their faith in God. In Ephesians, Colossians, he gives thanks in how they have faith and their love in God. In the Philippians, he gives thanks for their partnership in the gospel. In the Thessalonians, for their endurance and faith, hope, and love. But what are they going to give thanks for the Corinthians? And look what he does in verse 4. He says, I thank my God, always concerning you, for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So what does he thank, th- thank God for? He thanks God for God's grace, not for anything they've done. And you're going to be happy because of that. He thanks God for God's grace. He doesn't thank God for anything that the Christians have done in Corinth. He thanks God for God's grace. What is God's grace? It's unearned favor. It's the power, the ability to be able to do what God's called you to do. Remember, this is not earned. It's a free gift. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul thanks God for God's grace that he's given to the Corinthian church. And there's really three resources that God's grace gives and shows us his amazing grace. And remember, it's not earned. And these people are messed up, but God's grace is still there. And a lot of times we, we put judgment, a lot of them people, and God says, listen, I have something for you. And he opens it up, and it's unearned a favor. You didn't receive it. And so here in verse 5, look at verse 5, and he goes on, he says that you were, you were enriched in everything by him, by God, in all utterance and all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, that's your position, so that you have come short in no gift. They, they, they were coming short in no gift. The gift of God's, God was operating in their life even though they were screwed up. And we see that, the gift and the calling to God without repentance. And so so you came short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm to you in the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And so here, here are some things that he has, the Holy Spirit's gifts. These are grace gifts by God. He says you were confirmed by these gifts being used in your life because of God's grace. Gifts were happening. Even though they use these gifts wrong, and we'll be talking about that later on, of how to use the gifts of God. They were using them wrong, but they were there. They were available to them. Then there's God's security. Paul is thanking God, not because of their practice, but he's definitely thinking that they had given their life to the Lord and they had that position. Now we, we look down on these people because of their, their screw-ups and their mess-ups, but remember, they didn't have what you and I have today. We have no excuse today. They probably did. They didn't have all the teaching and everything, and they were in a, in a, in a place that was just terrible. And so Paul's bringing correction to them, but he's saying God's grace is operating in you. And he's saying, don't you see it? And we've got to see that in us today, that God's grace is available for us today to get, get out of whatever we're into and to be and to bring glory to him. And so he's, he's, he's thanking God for the Holy Spirit moving in their lives, that God's security in their lives, that his relationship is this. This is a mess of church that they have been blessed by God, and this proves God's amazing grace. It's unearned favor was there. And if they could just make that change, revival can happen in the city of Corinth. Revival could happen there. You know, there's thoughts out there that says, I'm in Christ, I can do whatever you want. No, you can't, because eventually sin's going to kill you. Sin's going to stop the things of God in your life. And Paul's going to mention that a little bit later. But there is evidence of grace here in this church. And Paul's saying, I thank God that God hasn't left you. Even though you're so messed up, God is still there. I believe America is messed up, but God has not left America. Come on. I believe God is, is ready for a revival in America. And so he's saying that God is there, but what you need to do is start practicing it. You see, when we have God's grace in our life, it will change us, and our practice will start eventually matching our position. But you've got to practice it. And I'm telling us all here today, we need to practice the grace of God. We need to practice the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to practice our position, right? We need to practice his love, the proof that God's grace is in your life, that it's moving in your life, that God's grace has moved in my life and that there's movement happening in my life. I am changing every single day. And a lot of times we'll go into condemnation because we, we look at somebody else and we're not there. Don't do that because that condemnation is going to push you down. It's going to hold you down. Are you moving forward? I'm not talking about perfection here, but are you moving forward in Christ? And that's what Paul's saying to them. You need to start moving forward because that's, the, that's, that's, that's a revelation that God's grace is moving in your life. I don't just say a prayer and live like I want to. I, 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 I'm starting a journey to become like Jesus every single day. And I have the grace of God that will enable me to do it. And I've got to recognize that grace and I, start, I have to start walking in it. Because this is what, what God wants us to do. He wants us to move forward. That every day we move from glory to glory to glory. Amen? And God wants us to do that. And that's what Paul's wanting them to do. And we need to register this primary truth 
that you were not called to just to have a position. You're called to live in daily transformation. That's the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. I'm called to live in daily transformation. So the proof that God is working in my life, and not, not that God is not wanting to work in your life, because a lot of times we like to blame God on things. God wants to work in your life. The proof that I'm allowing God to work in my life and I'm operating the grace is that there's movement in my life. That I'm moving closer to Jesus. It may be a little bit sometimes and sometimes it may be a lot, but there's movement. And if there's movement, <laughs> amen? There's movement in your life, Come on, you're going forward. Because this isn't easy. This isn't easy working in this world. This is a sex-saturated philosophical world out there that wants the men to be gods. Right? And if you're moving closer to God, you're doing what God's called you to do. And this is what Paul's been thanking God about his grace and now Paul is going to pursue them. It's going to get fun. Just glad he's not writing you a letter today. But he's getting fun. He, actually, this is your letter, okay? And so Paul is going to pursue them that things must change. So as we go through 1 Corinthians, we're going to see that. Now, he did have to write a second letter because guess why? They didn't get it. But in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it's the last part of 2 Corinthians. Look what he says here. Examine yourself as to whether you are in faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you are disqualified? Okay. He writes 1 Corinthians, and this is 2 Corinthians. And he's saying to them, if you don't get this, sin will eventually take you away from the Father. And you will be disqualified. Now, it's not God disqualifying you. You disqualify yourself, and this is what happens. Sin blinds. And that's what he's worried about. And what begins to happen is eventually you once accepted. But I believe, and through Scripture, I believe this is true. That you can reject it. And I've seen that happen with people over and over again. Paul's writing this letter and he's concerned. Because if they continue on the path that they're on, that they could end up being disqualified. But he's thankful that God's grace is working in them. There's, he wants to see movement. Paul looks at the Corinthian church as, as in Christ before he looks at anything else about the church. He has vision. He has faith for this. And he says, let the grace of God rise up in you. And let there be movement. 
Let the grace of God rise up in us today. Let there be movement so we can be the church that God wants us to be and we can rise up and raise up a standard and be a light to a dark world. Listen, if you've ever been in in real darkness and you know what you're going to go towards, the light. This world needs the body of Christ to rise up like never before and not to be about the things of men. The things of men does not work. We can see that. The wisdom of man does not work. The only thing that works is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit of God. And as we move forward in him, amen, by the grace of God, we can celebrate God's grace in us by allowing it to move us towards him. So allow it. So Paul says at the end of 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves. Are you moving forward? Are you moving forward in Christ Jesus? And if you're moving forward in Christ, praise the Lord. You're doing what's right. You're allowing the grace to empower you. But if you're not, repent. Repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm using my own ability. And that's where a lot of people get frustrated in their walk with Christ, is they stop using the grace of God, His ability to get closer and they start thinking I know how to get closer myself and it never works in fact what begins to happen instead of you going closer to the Lord and start moving forward in him you start moving away from him so repent that means stop change your thinking and start going this way with the Lord amen God has so much for us in his grace and he wants us to operate in it You have a position. Let's act like our position. Amen? Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise for that word. Amen? Amen. There's so much in it in the the book of 1 Corinthians that um, is so deep. And we're going to go into it. There's going to be some controversial things we're going to go through. They're not controversial to God. They're truth. Amen. But we're going to come against the age or the thinking of this world. Right? right? And we're going to do it with love and passion and the grace of God. And it may challenge you. It's going to challenge you. But it's going to equip you to live this world in victory. Amen? And to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for today. Father, as we study 1 Corinthians and we go through this amazing book that Paul says was for our time also, Lord, help us see clearly. As we go home and throughout this week be thinking on 1 Corinthians and even going into chapter 2, God, just give us wisdom, give us revelation, God, but not give us revelation on somebody else needs this, but about us ourselves. And how we can implement your word in our lives. That we can uh, be a church that God is not like the church in Corinth at, at that time that was rejecting the grace of God. That was allowing the age of this world to come in. But we can be a holy people. That we can be sanctified in our position. That we are sons and daughters of God. But we act like it. And that Father God that this world will see that and will be a light to this community. 
And we thank you, Father, for that in Jesus' name. And we thank you, God, for loving us. And we thank you, God, for caring for us right now. And God, I just, I just th- pray for everyone in here that they examine themselves and they see what you are doing in their lives and they receive the grace to be able to get through and to be who you've called us to be in Jesus' name and get us closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.